Good evening, and welcome to the fourth episode of this special series. Tonight, we discuss how the media has played an integral role in creating a brainwashing system for communism. This is done through two main strategies, cancel culture and censorship, which are the two prominent tools of the big tech and the media. The communism infiltration through the media aims to brainwash the mass with constant streams of false information. In the United States, two strong distinct tactics have been employed to spread information that are built on clear political bias and a communist agenda. These two strategies are cancel culture in various forms and censorship. These two strategies interconnect, but they're nothing new, especially to those who have witnessed it happen in communist countries. There is a saying in China, the flashlight of Marx and Engels always shines on others. The saying was explained to me as, the criticism of the CCP is never unto itself, but always used to make others guilty of crimes. Now taking this idea, how does it apply to the Western world, in particular the United States? Well, the media are in a position to influence people's first impressions on a particular topic, and thus carry considerable powers of psychological priming. They're quick to point out the wrongs of the others while branding themselves as the righteous and morally superior being. The left media capitalized by the promotion of false narratives using cutout clips, dramatic and emotional perspectives, as well as constant changes of social issues to attack and generate hatred while promoting a clear bias in their political agenda. In communist countries, the media are controlled by the states. The mouthpieces brainwash the masses and act as accomplices to the communist policies of terror and killing. In the U U.S., the media has been heavily infiltrated by communist thoughts, becoming communists' main agents of anti-traditional, anti-moral, and demonic trends. They propagate lies and hatred, adding fuels to the flames of moral degeneration. Many media entities have abandoned their duties of reporting the truth and guiding society's moral conscience. It is imperative for us to awaken to the state that the media are in today and to bring responsibility back to this field. Let's do some examples. In one recent case, a high school student named Nicholas Sandman was falsely accused by the media as a young Trump supporter who, along with his peers, are surrounding and laughing at an Indian elder. It turns out from the longer clip that it is now way less spread the students were actually the ones who were being harassed by a group of black Israelites. And this led to a defamation lawsuit in which CNN had to settle with the student. On January 6, mainstream media widely covered the Capitol breach and painted hundreds of thousands of Trump supporters at the scene as domestic terrorists because a number of individuals breached the Capitol. The violent situation turned deadly, with a video footage circulating of Ashley Babbitt being shot. And the media world used this opportunity to cancel any credibility and any voices of reasoning from the right side. The two cases highlighted the power of the media to influence people's judgments in a matter of seconds. And it turns out, in a new point in 2020, there's a new trend that has started by the legacy media, called fact-checking and debunking. This has stormed the headlines of every Google search, with every political event being called fact-checked. So what is their true intention then? From the very beginning, communists have viewed the media as a tool or multiple tools for brainwashing. In the 1847 document, Rules of the Communist League asked members to have revolutionary energy and zeal in propaganda. 
Vladimir Lenin used the media as tools to promote, incite, and organize the Russian Revolution. He actually also helped to run the official communist newspapers Iskra and Pravda to promote revolutionary propaganda and activism. The CCP also regards the media as tools for controlling public opinion and as the mouthpiece of the party. The CCP is highly conscious of the fact that the guns and the pens are what it relies on for seizing and consolidating power. Upon establishing its dictatorship, the CCP imposed strict control over the media and later the internet. It uses them as tools to indoctrinate the Chinese people with communist ideology, suppress dissidents, intimidate the public, and conceal or distort the truth. Media workers are experts in self-censorship, though, constantly aware that a single error in the CCP society can result in a miserable outcome. Censorship not only permeates the official news channel, but also personal blogs and online communities, which are monitored and controlled by a vast network of internet police in China. There's a contemporary Chinese phrase that vividly describes the role of the media under the CCP's rule. It says, I am the party's dog, sitting by the party's door. I'll bite whomever the party tells me to bite, and however many times I'm told. And this is no exaggeration. Every communist political movement starts with manipulating public opinion. The media spreads lies to incite hatred, which then cascades into violence and killing. The media plays a crucial role in this deadly mechanism. For example, during the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre, the CCP had claimed that the students were the violent thugs, and so they used the army to suppress the alleged riot. Following the massacre, it claimed that the army didn't shoot anyone and that there were no casualties in the square. As well, in 2001, early on in the persecution of Falun Gong, the regime had staged a self-immolation hoax in Tiananmen Square as well to frame the spiritual practice and kindle hatred towards Falun Gong practitioners across China and across the world. By the end of 2010, China boasted more than 1.3 million staff working in the international propaganda apparatus, including about 56,000 in propaganda departments at the provincial and county levels, as well 1.2 million in local propaganda units with 52,000 people in the central propaganda work units. In the U.S., even though we don't have a so-called propaganda department like the CCP does, the combined efforts of these large media corporations are acting as the exact same function as the propaganda department of the CCP. Generally speaking, the same narratives across multiple news companies is what they're using to act the same way. By using sheer outnumbered amounts of news channels, the pure number of coverage exceeds and drowns out the correct voices. And news is only provided by so many channels. Therefore, these channels decide what information is broadcasted, and viewers have pretty much no say in what they want to hear or tune into. And this is the reason why it is so easy to push a certain narrative. The left media make use of the consumer's trust to inculcate them with their ideological views. Because the free society of the West have traditionally emphasized the need for a truthful and objective but also fair media, the left-wing media do not always spread fake news to deceive the public outright. Instead, their methods are more subtle and elaborate. For example, Cancel culture as it stands is a powerful way to silence. Cancel culture in the media is about twisting their words, expanding their flaws, adding fuel to the flame, and generating quote-unquote evidence. 
all in the name of journalism. And while doing so, they can show clear bias towards one side over another. In doing so, they can successfully silence the voices of the opposition by using a very common tool, generating fake information. For example, late-night talk shows have been turning very political in recent years, in particular since Trump took office. And it was a focus point on various talk shows to begin the program by making fun of Trump. And part of this is generating the communist philosophy of struggle, because it spares no means and respects no moral bottom line in achieving its political objectives. In the 2016 U.S. election, Donald Trump opposed political correctness and supported measures to shift America away from the far left in order to return to traditional values and rules of law. Review the, the nation's spiritual faith while cuts the taxes to revitalize the economy, secure the border, and correct the skewed trade relationships with communist China. All of these achievements, as well as Trump's outspokenness, threw liberals into a frenzy. They armed the mainstream media, they lashed out in a full-scale assault against him, and they also abandoned virtually all pretense of balanced journalism. During the campaign, left-wing media used various methods willfully demonize and denigrate Trump while ostracizing his supporters, who were also described as racist, sexist, anti-immigrant, xenophobes, and uneducated whites. Under normal circumstances, no matter how fierce the rhetorics on the campaign trail may be, the different parties and their supporters should reconcile and return to normal operations after. But more importantly, the media should always uphold the principles of fairness, put national interests first, and maintain neutrality. But that wasn't the case. However, after the 2016 presidential election in the United States, with Trump winning, the media have continued their campaign trail frenzy, even at the risk of their public image. Most of the liberal side media have actually ignored the achievements of the Trump administration, such as the record low unemployment rates, the stock market soar to record highs, American diplomatic successes overseas, and the near-total eradication of the ISIS terrorist group. And in 2017, 90% of the coverage on Trump was negative. According to a study by Newsbusters, the analytical arm of the Media Research Center, in the beginning of 2018, negative coverage reached 91%. Rich Noyes, a senior editor from Newsbuster, concluded, I quote, Without question, no president has ever been on the receiving end of such hostile coverage for such a sustained period of time as has Trump. Furthermore, the media is doing everything possible to undermine the Trump administration by making groundless accusations. For example, the media stirred up a conspiracy theory of collusion between Trump and Russia, with two prominent newspapers even winning the coveted Pulitzer Prize for such coverage. According to the study, the Russian collusion investigation was the main focus of Trump-related evening news broadcast by the three main U.S. media networks over the previous two months taking up nearly one-fourth of those networks' Trump-related airtime. And you will notice compared to now, when Trump left office, nobody watches them anymore. However, a two-year special counsel investigation found no evidence to support the allegations, which means they can no longer continue that narrative. So what they do, cancel culture requires fabrication too. The media has been known to fabricate a lot of news stories 
In 2017, a TV news giant suspended a senior journalist for four weeks without pay and issued a correction of his work because he had created a fake report that Trump had ordered Lieutenant General Michael Flynn to make contact with Russia when Trump was a presidential candidate. The reporter and the producer who had worked with the journalist ended up leaving the TV station. This particular team had previously achieved outstanding success, such as winning four Peabody Awards and 17 Emmy Awards. At the recent second impeachment hearing, the defense lawyers highlighted clearly doctored clips shown by the impeachment managers to contrast how much fake fabrication took place in order to make Trump look bad. And when Trump condemned the violent MS-13 gang, especially those members who had committed brutal murders after entering the United States illegally, he said, I quote, they're not people, these are animals, and we have to be very, very tough. However, what did the media do? These outlets immediately took his statement out of context, claiming that Trump said illegal immigrants were animals. Next, let's talk about the second strategy, which is using censorship on various levels. Political correctness, a potent communist tool, permeates the media. Whether written in the style guide or left implicit, many media outlets have policies of political correctness that affect what may or may not be reported and how it should be presented. To the point where the Western media world, along with the leftist political groups and academia, have created a lexicon of political correct language. And they only report what is politically correct. As we talked about in our previous episode, it is a tool to transform the political system. And it has been applied so frequently by the media and that the language has become deeply rooted in the public consciousness. It has done so by influencing the public on a subliminal level. Censorship, which is a large part of itself, containing self-censorship. Let's talk about the first strategy. To self-censor is to selectively cover or provide coverage or even twisting the way to cover news. For example, using selective news coverage every day, thousands of newsworthy events occur around the world, but which events receive attention or quietly fade from view is almost completely determined by what the media wants to cover. And this goes both ways, left or right. But selective coverage can be divided into these three categories. First, Events are selected only or primarily for their utility in helping readers accept the ideological stand of the left. Second, instead of reporting comprehensively on an event, event's context, the media report only the aspects that support the leftist point of view. Lastly, the media tend to give greater voice to those who lean left or whose statements agree with the left, while other organizations and individuals are sidelined. Perhaps one of the most striking examples of selective coverage is the dearth of reporting on the largest persecution of faith in contemporary history. In China since 1999, the CCP has persecuted members of the spiritual practice of Falun Gong, which upholds the universal principles of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. The persecution has directly affected hundreds of millions of people in the world's most populous country. And it's done so for more than two decades. And it is being perpetrated to a degree of brutality that is hard to fathom. However, its coverage by the Western media has been disproportionately weak when placed next to the magnitude and severity of the actual events taking place. Most of the mainstream media outlets influenced by the CCP's political clout have exercised self-censorship or remained silent amid the CCP's monstrous assault on the freedom of belief and the core values of human civilization. 
Some have even been complicit in helping the CCP spread its deceit. In another example, though the issue of transgender rights concerns only a small, very small portion of the population, it has become a focal point of discussion in 2021, and an example of media successfully setting the agenda. In addition, a narrative about global warming became prominent as well as climate change in the discussion and the public discourse as a result of a long-term conspiracy between the media and other political forces. While issues like riots from Antifa and Black Lives Matter, these type of things gain no coverage or very little attention from the left media because they don't fit the narratives. And it doesn't help when the political system right now aligns with the left side of the news as well. Many progressive ideas such as the so-called social equality, racial justice, feminism, these things have become mainstream, while the crimes of communism have been whitewashed. Former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich once wrote in 2018, he says, The academic left and its news media and Hollywood acolytes refuse to confront the horrifying records of Marxism's endless inhumanity. All this is to generate the selective hatred they need to succeed in class struggle. Another example, because of the legislation on hate crimes in some European countries, many local media outlets dare not to report on crimes committed by immigrants. Despite that, such crimes have become a severe social issue and are threatening the domestic security of in those countries, and American media organizations are also self-censoring when it comes to reporting crimes, often omitting the perpetrator's immigration status. Let's not even mention the fact that black crimes and the reporting of that is so sensitive. While many Americans worry about ever-increasing censorship, those responsible for it have managed to amplify its effects by creating a climate of self-censorship too. Due to the psychological mechanisms of self-censorship, a single account blocked, a single video deleted, or book banned can result in a broad chilling of speech. Important policy debates don't occur. News story ideas aren't pitched to editors, and books aren't accepted for publishing or written to begin with. This is where big tech has come in, and they have acted as the bane of free information, as well as the rise of social media censorship of news and information, indirectly playing part to promote only the information from the left or what is politically correct. Working alongside these large media corporations, they are silencing any opposition, including, for example, banning President Trump from various social media platforms, as well with many prominent conservative voices along with him. Now, in this case, the censorship is just taking out his voice from those platforms, but it has also enlarged to be a new concept. This creation and the widespread self-censorship through everywhere. In some cases, it appears the censors employed the psychological trick on purpose, achieving maximum suppression with minimum responsibility. And these methods are new. In fact, they have long been employed by the CCP as well as other totalitarian regimes. The principle of self-censorship is that people, just to be on the safe side, refrain from even saying the things that aren't outright banned by some applicable rules. Think about this. The Chinese Communist Party, the world's most notorious censor of free information, has for decades used the methods of making its policies intentionally vague. In the Nine Commentaries on the Communist Party book, it states, During the Cultural Revolution, people couldn't buy food in canteens if they didn't recite a quotation or make a greeting to Mao Zedong. When shopping, riding the bus, or even making a phone call, one had to recite one of the Mao's quotations. 
even if it was totally irrelevant. In these rituals of worship, people were either fanatical or cynical. In contemporary China, dissidents are often targeted for the, now we so understand, subverting the state or spreading rumors. The regime has proven that virtually any political statement can be subsumed under one of these charges. The method appears to be now playing in out the contemporary America society as well. Amazon recently updated its policies to ban books that contain hate speech, and without even explaining what it considers as such hate speech. And since Amazon controls more than 80% of the book retail market, publishers are left to guess whether a book may get the hate speech label and thus be less profitable to publish. Think about this. Those that who invested great efforts to build their online followings are likely to adopt especially stringent self-censorship as they have the most to lose. YouTube, for example, bans any content that says the 2020 election result was affected by F. The policy seems relatively clear, yet it appears to have nudged YouTube personalities to avoid the topic of election integrity altogether, just to be on the safe side. I mean, yours truly has never imagined that I would potentially be banned for saying the F word over the other F word. Think about that. Another method is using denial or resistance as evidence of guilt. Now, in current progressive ideologies, denying that one is racist or has white privilege counts as confirmation of the charges. In fact, any resistance to the ideology and its labels is often labeled as white fragility or internalized oppression, and thus illegitimate, cancelled, and it leaves no room for rightful criticism or even discussion in some cases. The ideology discourages a debate, and rather than deal with the grief of being pejoratively labeled, many keep their objections to themselves. This again plays into the cancel culture theme as well as self-censorship. Another way to impose self-censorship is extending blame beyond the target to anybody even tenuously associated with it. Totalitarian regimes have long used this tactic to pushing family as well as friends, colleagues, even supervisors and other associates of the dissidents to crimes and punishments. Examples of guilt by association are really common today. Think about what happened to those who attended the January 6th at the Capitol they were reported by their friends and family to the FBI. Fortunately, the American public seems to be more and more awake to the fake news. From a poll conducted by Monmouth University in March 2018, the percentage of Americans who thought that the major media outlets were reporting fake news at least occasionally had increased from 63% in the previous year to 77%. Judging from the results of the U.S. election, more than half of Americans support Trump. But the attitude taken by the media is one-sided. Under these abnormal circumstances, Trump is often attacked and demonized because he adopts a conservative political stance and supports traditional American values, ideas that cannot coexist with the anti-traditional ideology of the left. If the media's attack on Trump are able to cause the public to lose their confidence in him, the attacks will achieve their underlying objective, which is to prevent society from returning to tradition. More worrisome, however, is that many media outlets have become catalysts for magnifying radical rhetoric, provoking animosity and hatred, and polarizing the population, therefore further widening the cracks in society, making it more divisive. Basic ethics have been thrown out, and consequences are ignored to the point that destroying oneself so as to bring about the demise of an opponent has become acceptable. 
The country has been pushed to a state of extreme chaos and danger in the process. The reality is more complicated. American political scientist Tim Grossiclose in his 2011 book used rigorous scientific methods to analyze the political leanings of major American media. His findings revealed that the political leaning of American media on average trend dramatically toward liberalism and progressivism, far left of the typical voting citizens. The mainstream media are even further left of this average. The book explains that the majority of media professionals, be they the owner of these organizations or reporters and commentators, are liberal, which objectively speaking puts pressure on traditionalists in the field. The small number of conservatives working in liberal media companies may be seen as mildly evil or subhuman. Even if these journalists aren't squeezed out of the employment, they dare not air their political views publicly, much less promote conservative viewpoints in print or on television. And according to a 2013 ABC News Washington Post poll, about 28% of journalists in the United States self-identified as Democrats compared to just 7.1% who identified as Republicans. The community of media professionals ex excludes views that do not align with liberal bias, thus forming political echo chambers. Individuals in this community see themselves as the compassionate and intelligent elite at the forefront of societal development, and while looking down on ordinary citizens as stubborn commoners who needs to be educated by their agenda. And left-wing bias discourages students with conservative viewpoints from picking journalism as their major or seek a job in the media after graduation. The environment has not allowed for conservative voices to flow. During the 2020 presidential election, poll numbers reported by the left and the right side media widely varied. And this was one common example of information being used to dissuade voters from their candidate pick. As they see that one candidate is leading by some large margin of, say, 20 points, what would be the point for voting for that losing candidate? And in reality, these numbers are widely inflated to create the fake information. During the 2016 presidential election, 57% of the nation's 100 biggest newspapers, with a combined circulation of 30 million, endorsed a Democratic candidate. Just two of the top 100, with a combined circulation of 300,000, supported the Republican candidate. But the mainstream media does not necessarily represent the opinions of the social mainstream. A 2016 poll conducted by Gallup found that 36% of American citizens identified as conservatives, while liberals made up 25%. And that is to say, if the media accurately reflected the views of a majority of citizens, then the media as a whole wouldn't lean left. It's the feelings from the left that their opinions and perspectives are superior to that of the conservative side and their more progressive and liberal worldviews helps to generate a clear agenda in reporting. It's to show the world how good the left side is, it's to allow them to have their reporting in a sense of liberalism and liberal agenda. Therefore, communism has been successful because it allows it to harbor onto the ideas of liberalism and it exploited human failings, which is the pursuit of fame and gain ignorance, laziness, selfishness, misapplied sympathy, competitives, and these likes. Some journalists self-righteously rebel against traditional values under a facade of knowing the truth, and some conform to the already morally debased public demands in order to get views. Some conform to the lowered standards for the sake of their careers, and some fabricate fake news out of jealousy and hostility. Some believe fake news because of their ignorance and laziness, 
and some exploit the kindness and sympathies, uh, sympathy of others in advocating social justice and thus tilt the entire society towards the left. This resulted in unscrumptious tactics to achieve their political and economic goals. The mission of the media is a lofty one. They're meant to be the lifeline by which people obtain their information about public events, but they're also an important force in maintaining the healthy development of society. Objectivity and impartiality are basic ethics requirements for the media and to work in the media, and it's the key to get the people to trust it in the first place. But the media today, chaos reigns, severely affecting the confidence people have in it. The reason we have to do this is we have to reclaim the mission of the media and reestablish the glory of the news profession. This is a noble responsibility of the people employed in this field. Restoring the media's mission means that the media needs to pursue truth. The media's coverage of the truth must be comprehensive and come from a place of sincerity. When reporting social phenomena, many media outlets present only part of the reality in ways that they're often misleading and can do more harm than outright lies. The media will be good if they can help society value and uphold morality. For good and evil are both presented in human society, it is the responsibility of the media to spread the truth and to extol virtue, to expose the evil, and to restrain the evil. In returning to this mission, the media must pay more attention to the major events that affect the future of humankind, such as exposing communism. The last century has seen many battles between the free world and communism. While it appears to be an ideological confrontation, it is in fact a life and death struggle between righteousness and evil. For communism is ruining the morals that hold civilization together. Even after the collapse of the communist regimes in Eastern Europe, the specter of communism persists. As the world undergoes great changes, truth and traditional values are more important than ever. The world needs media that can distinguish between right and wrong, do good deeds, and maintain public morality. Transcending the interest of individuals, companies, and political parties to present the real world to the people is the duty of every media professional. Today, when facing the moral decline in the media profession, it is imperative that readers and audiences can make a conscious distinction between the right and the wrong, and scrutinize rationally the information produced by the media. And people must judge issues in line with the moral tradition, regard social phenomena through the lens of universal values, and in doing so, push the media to fulfill their historical mission, to uphold truth. This is also the key for humankind to stave off of the influence of communist specters and as well find a path to a better future. That is it for tonight. Thanks so much for watching tonight. Have a wonderful evening. See you.